Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Indy Johal has a story that is remarkable and unremarkable in equal measure. Yeah, and, and it's... Uh, it is going to be a unique listen, especially mm. the early years, because it's sort of reverse of, yeah. of the other stories it that is, we've heard. Yeah. So it's fascinating. And, and that longevity, you know that like long run-up? Mm. I mean, flip, oh. that's a long run-up. But also to see the success that she's she's had and that kind of application of just not stopping and keeping mm. going and i think quite often when you see people that are successful it, it almost looks untouchable you think well how did that happen mm. you went from kind of nowhere to somewhere but i can't see the steps mm. i think with indy you get to see and feel those individual stepping stones yeah. that have taken her to where she is now she's normal yeah you know she's normal yeah it's fabulous really enjoyable so it's a very special day today. We're talking to Indy Johal, which is exciting. I'm really looking forward to it. It is. Interesting story. Absolutely. No so pressure. Indy's principal dentist at Renewed Dental Practice in Warsaw, uh, which is in the Midlands. Um, qualified back in 2009 and a self-confessed nerd, which I'm sure we'll find out more about. <laughs> Welcome, Indy. How are you doing? How are you doing? Guys, thank you for having me. I like no, to be a nerd, but I don't really know if I actually am one. <laughs> Is there, a, is there a definition or a test that you go through to be identified as a nerd? I don't know. I think nerds come in all different categories, though, don't they? I think nerds are kind of just are interested and inquisitive and, and just kind of obsess about finding out about mm. things. That's kind of, we all like to be that yeah, sort of... that's not nerdy, is it? No, but you can be nerdy like that, can't you? Yeah, yeah. I think it depends. Well, I suppose you can have dull old nerds, can't you? Yeah. But the thing is, you could be nerdy about learning about business and obsessing about people and that. And that's <coughs> okay, nerdy. But if you were, um, for fear of offending train spotters, that might not be good nerdy. No, no, or, or or for them it's good nerdy. But I suppose isn't that the the, the beautiful of, of the thank you. There we go. I thought there's a song in there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we should talk to Indy as Indy. Oh yeah, can't I I I can't join in when you like. Oh, I'm not going to interrupt them. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. We not occasionally talk. go off on a ramble, so it's a. <laughs> we do, we do. Um, I want to start with the fact that you were the first person in your family to go to university, which is is absolutely massive. Um, but before we get to that, um, can you roll back to you know when you were when you were teeny tiny and, and what did life look like when you when you started before you got to that kind of you know doing your your GCSEs and, and heading off to university? Yeah, what was family life like when you were young? So yeah, you're right. I was the first person to go to university in my family, but um, I guess like my story starts like I was born in the UK. I was born in London. And, you know, I was a child of an immigrant, so obviously I didn't have much support in the UK. There wasn't a lot of people to look after me. And my dad used to actually drive a cab back in those days. And he was saying that, you know, my mom used to work at the airport and she'd gone back to work when I was two months old because they needed to make money and all of this stuff. And he always says this story to me that one of the days he went 
um, he just dropped into the nursery because he had um, a cab fare that had come around that way. So he thought, I'm going to pop in, I'm going to see my baby and then I'll just carry on working. And he said, I came in and you were crying and nobody was looking at you and you looked like you were so distressed. So he said, that's when I just made the decision that you're better off with my parents in India. So I'm going to send you back. So they'll actually look after you rather than I, we just work like crazy hours and you're just with somebody else who's not looking after you. So I went wow. back to India. I had my first birthday in India without my parents actually. And wow. there's loads of photos from that time where there's loads of food on the table and there's just a photo of my parents in between the samosas and all of this and just me in the background <laughs> like yes it's my first birthday oh desperate so, oh, you know, it was a little bit of um, a different kind of childhood but you know I'm so glad to have had that upbringing and that time with like my grandparents and back home I think it just adds a little bit of something else to your childhood and I think you have a lot of freedom as a child when you're in kind of like a country like India you're just roaming around you're doing your own thing you can just you know get on with the day and do whatever you want and when I came back to the UK for good I was around five years old Mm. I came back to the UK and I couldn't speak English. I didn't know where I was going. I couldn't really recognize my parents because it had been such a long time since I'd met them and like spent time with them and knew them. And I suppose there's no like whatsapp or oh, anything no. like that no. or and no. you know back in those video days, yeah. nobody, had phones. Yeah. nobody had phones yeah. there used to be a phone um like one phone in the village so uh, it was actually called the <laughs> wow. phone booth was actually called an std which now looking at it it's like why you wouldn't want to be going there would you i don't even know what it stands for and if that phone would ring they basically would send one of the local kids running to the house whoever the phone call was for and then you would have to run there before the money ran out and speak to whoever it was and then run Mm. back home so it was like a different time What's interesting, Indy, I think Flip. the sacrifice that parents make for their children. You know, we've yeah. talked to, to lots of people who um, their life originated in India and their parents made almost like the reverse sacrifice that they rooted the family yeah. and decided to come to England. Quite often it was in the 60s or mm. 70s when, yeah. you know, it wasn't an easy place to come to yeah. because they wanted to build a better life for their kids. Yeah. And it's interesting that the reverse is true for you, that your reverse, parents yeah. had come to England yeah. but found that at that time it wasn't the best place for you to be but to make that sacrifice to you know to not pass, see your daughter yeah to, to pass their daughter yeah. back to grandparents in india because actually that was better and then you come back i, I think it's remarkable are you an only child in it no i'm one of four so i'm the eldest i'm actually the eldest grandchild on my dad's side and the second eldest on my mom's side so i was like you know the prized possession when i went back to india because they hadn't had a baby in the house for such a long time so mm, wow. everyone was really excited and i think that's what makes that transition easier because you get so much love when you're there. So it didn't, yeah. I didn't feel like I don't remember a time where I was thinking like, oh, where are my parents? I don't think I had time to think where are my parents mm. because there was too many other people there to entertain me and take care of me. But my parents, I think, did find it tough. And my mom says that sometimes, you know, she would like sit and look at the cot and be crying and thinking, what's the point of us being here? Because we don't even have our we don't even have our baby. So, Perfect. you know, I think for them, it was a massive <laughs> sacrifice. And if I look at what position they were in and that's just one of the sacrifices that they made they came from a very kind of humble beginnings in india and you know Mm. they didn't have a lot when they were there they came here with one focus and that was just to make it so you know how you think of the american dream this was just the uk dream they were going to come here they were going to work hard they were going to 
make something of themselves and you know establish a base for their future family so i think for them that was a massive sacrifice like one of many that they've made while we've been growing up so i look at their sacrifices and think i don't know if i could make the same Mm. I assume they didn't send your siblings back to India. Yeah, so but during those, that time, I came back um, permanently when I was five, but I did come back for a little bit in between, and uh, my brother was born. But when he was four, he came back with me as well, so he did the same. So he was a little baby, and again, oh, okay, right. year, and we were there, and I was in school and, and everything like that, and then we came back, came back to wow. And they moved from London to Birmingham. And this is like one of the things that I love about my dad in particular. Um, he didn't have a lot of fear at that time. And I think it was because he thought he doesn't have a lot to lose. So he was a cab driver. He had saved together a little bit of money. And somebody somehow had told him that the shop trade was a good trade. And so he had just found a shop and he said, I'm going to buy it. And I was thinking, like, now I look at him and I think, how did you do that? Like, you just uprooted your life, you sold your house, you came to a different city, and you just said, right, I've got a business, I'm going to make this business work, and that's that, and that's how it's going to happen. And uh, when I came back to the UK, I didn't even know where I was because we'd left the London house and we were in, we were in Birmingham. We were in a completely different place. It was oh, like wow. you know, alien. What I love is these these stories are so rich, aren't they? And it's so easy to get drawn to the well-known stories or the well-known people. Mm. But when you hear stories like that, there'll be so many people that will take so much from it because it's just everyday life. And like you say, the sacrifices and, and the things that people do and listening to you know that issue around your dad and kind of, I'm going to buy a shop – naivety is is, yeah. is a really underrated yeah. skill I think, so. I think if you just crack on and do stuff you'll you find a way of making it work different country different language yeah. different place i mean it's yeah. like yeah okay so <laughs> yeah. my dad always tells this story how that when they bought the shop they didn't know what half of the produce was because obviously they were driving cabs before so even if i ask my dad now a how do I get from here to here in London? He will know it like the back of his hand. He mm. still knows the roads. He still knows everything. So he was just like, oh, that was easy for me because I learned the map so quickly. I could do that within like no no problem. Um, but when it came to having a shop, they didn't know what beans were. They didn't know what certain foods <laughs> were. So people would come in and they would say like, I just want a can of beans. And my dad would be like, what the hell are you talking about? What do you mean beans? And then they had to show him the can and then he would go to the stock room to find that can and bring it back and like give it to the customer oh, wow. terrific wow. absolutely terrific yeah so you so you're back in the uk cost of beans he'll know it from every single yeah i bet he does <laughs> i bet he does yeah make sure you factor in inflation in utility so, bills Ooh. so you um so you got back in the uk you're now um settled in birmingham which i assume that's where you did your your schooling um yes, I through, did, yeah. through, through I birmingham. birmingham and then and then you said that you you love your dentist and and, and you did work experience. Yet another person yeah, of work, that, that experience, did work yeah. experience in a dental practice. We were talking to somebody um, just earlier on today, and the same thing. And we were saying how uh, now dentistry isn't on the the list of, of places you can you can take work experience. Yeah, in. I think it's and hard now to get a position. And that's the thing, and, and it obviously inspired you, and it's become your career, and you now own a practice. If yeah. you hadn't had that work experience opportunity, would that have been the case or not? I, no. d- I, don't, I don't know, but you it do. It wouldn't have been the case, because it's funny you say that. You know, I used to have braces when I was younger, and mm. I was like one of those sassy teenagers, and my orthodontist asked me, like, oh, what do you want to do when you're older? Do you 
are you considering dentistry? And I just looked at him and I was like, oh, no, like, why would I want to look in someone's mouth all day? There's absolutely no way. <laughs> and I just was like so blunt with him and he didn't know what to say. And I was like, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but okay, fine, I've said it now. And then I just left. I never thought about it. And then I had to fill out my work experience placements. And I was thinking at that time, I'm going to do pharmacy. You're in a, like a little pharmacy and it's just a little group. And like, how hard can it be to know what drugs are? Like I thought, yeah, this is just a good job. And I went to do my work experience in pharmacy and I just did not like it i thought i can't do this all day i don't have anyone to talk to i don't i don't like i'm gonna get bored and i had done the second placement in dentistry just kind of off the cuff because it was one of the places i just ticked it and i just thought it's just a week it'll be over in a week it'll be fine and when i do my work experience it was with my own dentist and I tell you like I just had such a good time I think the team was so close they all had so many jokes with each other they had jokes with the patients and you know the day just used to go so quickly Mm. and when I did my work experience you could actually like with the permission of of course the dentist and the nurse is still there you could do like a little bit of suction or you could do a little bit back then and um, I did a little bit and I just thought oh my god I really really like this and Mm. um I remember my dentist, he used to have back problems even back then. And he wasn't in on those few days when I was doing my work experience, but he made an effort to come in just to check on me and see how I was getting on and how the team was. And I just thought, I love this guy. I want to be just like him. And um, ever since then, like, so I did the work experience. And I think the very next week I applied for a reception position in a dental practice opposite my dad's shop. And I just thought, oh, I'll just try it. And I'll just see, like, it's opposite the shop. I'll be able Mm. to come and go really quickly, easily. It'll be fine. And then literally after about three weeks, I started working in that dental practice. And I worked in that dental practice on and off, like, um, after school, after uni, in between holidays until I qualified. Oh, wow. Yeah. Lovely story. Yeah. Lovely wow. story. So going back to that, that opening point about you being the first person in your family to go to university, mm-hmm. given what you said about your father, I imagine you got loads of support to fulfill your ambitious dreams because oh, yeah. your father's obviously, you know, pushed on and, and had to just make the best of his situation. So was it, was it a big day when as a family you were the first person to go to university? Yeah, I think for them it was a massive sacrifice as well because I was going away. They didn't know Mm. really what to expect. I mean, obviously I lived away when I was a kid, but that was with family. So that was completely Mm. different. And I was going away from home for university and they just didn't know um, what to expect, what's going to happen, like how is she going to survive, what's going to go on. And I went away to a different country. So for them Mm. it was like it was just a big shock to their system, I think. Mm. But, you know, with my parents, both of them, they've been so pro-education since we were young for all of their kids. So all yeah. four of us, they've really mm. pushed us a lot um, mm. with regards to education and with that being an avenue to pursue whatever you want in the future. So if you build a solid foundation, you can you can go from there and do whatever you want. Even if you don't want to work in that field forever, you've got a foundation to work from. Mm. And I think my dad really felt it because he had an opportunity at one stage to possibly go to medical school and he wasn't able to make that work due to like funds. And he always wanted his kids to, if they wanted to do that, to, Mm. to have the opportunity to do it. 
Which is amazing. And you say you sort of went away, but yeah, tell us about the university. You went to the experience. first faculty of medicine, which is yeah. at Charles University in Prague. So it wasn't like you say you went away, uh, you went to Liverpool yeah, or you went to London. Country. You went you went to another country. And yeah. we, we, we've actually spoken to Kunal Patel. And Kunal Patel is the principal, uh, along with Lucy, of Love Teeth. Mm. Uh, and, and he went to Prague to qualify as well. So he shared with us his own experience, which we found quite mm. startling in terms yeah. of what that was like for him. But what was what was your experience like of qualifying overseas? Is it the same place? I think it, I think it is. Slightly different. So I think he was a little bit further and I was uh, right in the centre. It was There was quite a few different faculties back in those days. Oh, because he was out. He, he, he was, was like just, in the middle of nowhere. Right, he was I think out, he, yeah. thought, he thought he was going to the party town. Yeah, he thought it was going to be like the stack centre of the world. So you were actually in the, in, in the city? I was, yeah. And, right. you know, I think... You know, we talked a little bit about naivety, which I think has like played a massive role in my life over time. I went to university in Prague, and I think I knew, I didn't really know what to expect. I was going to go away to university, and I just thought in my mind, how hard can it be? It's a different place. It will be fine. It's not going to be the end of the world. People go away all the time. It will be fine. But it it's was like a, a shock to the system because, you know, I grew up in and around Birmingham, multicultural. I never had a problem. I just felt like I fitted in completely. And mm. I went to Prague in 2004, I think it was, and 2003, 2004, and there was hardly any brown people. It was a completely different world. My dad came to drop me off. He used to wear a turban at that time. And somebody actually stopped their car in the middle of the street reversed it and started staring at him because they'd never seen anything like that before in their life i just thought oh my god i was getting i was getting frustrated like what's happening here like that's not right yeah and my dad just turned to me and he said i'm so good looking this happens to me all the time and (laughs) and i just thought do you know what i'm just gonna take it like that that's how it is you know amazing that's what's gonna happen um but it was like a big adjustment so I tried to learn Mm. language we had language classes for three years in order to be able to speak to patients um and now looking back actually it's quite useful because can speak a little bit of Czech with patients a little bit of Polish you can understand so Mm. you know it's come in handy even like having been back in the UK um Mm. but yeah it was completely different experience was there anyone else from England with you in your yeah there was actually quite a few of us and some in the upper years and after us quite a lot of people came from the UK as well but there was people from Sweden, there was people from Malaysia, Botswana. It was like very multicultural. Wow. Yeah. Right. Did you manage to, were you in halls to start with? I was. So I was in halls about an hour away, but I moved quickly into a flat with my flatmates, who I'm still in contact with even now. I think it's just a different, nice. wow. it's a family away from family, isn't it, when, when you're at university? Mm. Um, so yeah, we're we moved closer to the university and we were there for such a long time. And I think, you know, going abroad to university, sometimes it might be a little bit easier to get into the university, but it's extremely tough to pass Mm. every year to, um, to finish it and complete it within the allocated time. And I was lucky that I managed to do that. I think Mm. by that time, because I'd had a little bit of a, a wake-up call with my A-levels. I hadn't really put my full effort in and I'd just taken it for granted that I thought, oh, you know what, I've always kind of scraped by without without yeah. much effort. I've had A's. Mm. I haven't really had to think about it. And when you kind of do your A-levels, you can misjudge how difficult they're going to be at that time. Mm. And you're 
it's the age when you you, you want to see your friends, you want to do other things. Yeah. You're not mentally completely focused on your studies. So after I had that little bit of an um, obstacle in the journey to becoming a dentist, I just thought, no, I've got to get my head down. I've got to just get through it and I've got to just crack on with it really and get through mm. all of these years and start working. But it, it obviously set you up well because after qualifying as a dentist, you then went on to complete your Royal College of Surgeons exam, postgraduate in endodontics and restorative. So you obviously got that. Yeah, we, we sort of said at the beginning, you're a self-confessed nerd, but clearly the, the clinical dentistry, the learning of that clinical dentistry is something you're quite passionate about. Yeah, and I enjoy it. I think, you know, I still think of myself as like not the most academic person. I don't think I know... I don't think anybody knows everything, but I don't know a lot of things, but I like to learn. I like to Mm. see how I can improve my clinical skills, how I can improve my practice. So I'm always trying to do something. And I think, you know, sometimes when you come uh, back to the UK, having studied abroad, you have that little bit of a thing that I want to just make sure that I do know everything properly. But, Mm. you know, over Mm. time, what I've realized is teeth are teeth. And you just have to learn to do them well. And there's a lot of other things that go into dentistry other than doing the actual dentistry there's so much yeah. around it how you communicate your interactions so with true patients. yeah and so all true. of that yeah. actually makes um i think sometimes a little bit more importance in your work than your mm. actual work i mean not that i'm saying mm. my work is terrible i try to do the best but there's a lot that yeah. goes on around it absolutely i mean we, we we're not clinical at all but we obviously talk to, to lots of dentists and yeah. it would appear that the most successful practices aren't necessarily the best clinicians. They're good enough clinicians, yeah. but they're not the professors. They're, they're, they're people that, yeah, they can manage a team, they yeah. can build relationships. And it's just interesting because obviously you're, you're, you're still young, but you've done a lot of postgraduate qualifications. Dentists tend to obsess about doing more and more clinical education but they don't always invest the same time on the business side of things. Mm-hmm. Have you done any any formal business learning? Is it just something that's intuitive, you've learned as you went? Not anything formal. I think there was a time when I thought, I want to do an MBA. I want to do something in business. And that was after I'd done one of the postgraduate um uh, courses and I just thought okay what's next for me what am I going to do next and it was before I had opened the practice and I thought you know what I'm going to do this so I'll have a foundation mm-hmm. of knowledge for moving forward and I spoke to one of my friends who actually is a director in banking and he said why are you doing it you don't need it you need to do the work you need to do the business mm-hmm. you need to do the everyday tasks and that will be what will serve you more than learning it academically and I think that for me was a little bit of imposter syndrome because I felt like I didn't know enough. I felt mm. like, oh, I just don't know how it's going to be. Like, am I going to be able to do it? Am I not going to be able to do it? But, you know, at one stage, I just had to give myself a little bit of a talking to and just say, you know what? You can take a tooth out. You can do this. Other people mm. come from different countries. They set up shop. Look at your own parents. They came with nothing. They started and they did it. So, yeah. Say, try it. There's some skills to learn from your dad, isn't there? Yeah, mum exactly. you know, and dad with the, the learning, business, communication, yeah. marketing, all that sort of stuff. Exactly. So then I just yeah. thought, you know what? It, what's the worst case scenario? I had to try to balance it in my own mind that the worst case scenario is that your business will fail and nobody wants your a business to fail nobody goes into business thinking it's going to fail but no. the worst case scenario is your business will fail but that isn't the rest of your life you you could go and work in another practice at any point at any point you could go and work in another dental clinic so really mm. what do you have to lose you don't have as much to lose as other people that do start off in business with only that to offer 
Mm. I, I think you're right, and I think as a as a skill, there will always be the need and the requirement for dentists. So whether you're a business owner or working in a social capacity, you're never going to be be short of work. But what I find interesting is that you know you found all these reasons that you don't have these business skills, and you know could I do an MBA and I'll learn it on the go. So then you decide to go down the path into practice ownership which is arguably one of the most difficult routes you could take because a simpler route would be to buy an established dental practice that somebody else has already built a patient base of and generated fees and profit and an established team and they've already done all the marketing so you decided to find a a co-op store um, that was no longer running you took a lease on that building and you then two years ago decided to set up a Oh, you bought the freehold. Yeah. You bought. Oh, good for you. So you actually bought the property. I mean, that's proper commitment. And you set your squat dental practice up in what was a, a shop. Yeah. So that came about in a, a really funny way as well, actually, because, you know, I got to the stage in my career where I was doing a lot and I was building really good relationships with patients. And I thought, you know what? I want to have a little bit more control over what goes on around <laughs> what I do in the mouth because I felt like I had a good base I could build good relationships and in many of the practices that I've worked in I'd started the list from either very little or from zero so mm-hmm. it didn't really scare me too much starting from zero I mean it is mm-hmm. scary in a way if it's your own money that's invested but I've done it before and I thought it just takes time it just takes time to build relationships it takes time for word of mouth to get around it just takes time for people to know who you are and what you're about but eventually once they find out they will probably come to you so in the back of my mind that was always there and I had an opportunity before I made the decision for the practice to buy another practice and at that time I didn't feel like there was as much scope for growth in that practice as what I could see in in the co-op because the co-op was massive 1700 square foot they had so Mm. much potential it's on a busy high street parking front and back and you know it ticked all the boxes and um I was just scared because it was purchasing the building it was renovating Mm -hmm. it and I had no experience and I came to view the property I came in I saw it and it was so big it was just empty it was massive it was an old shop basically and I've been around shops all my life I know ins and outs of shops I'm not scared of a shop but it just looked so big in comparison to the practices I had seen and I had worked in before that I just thought I can't see how I'm going to make this work and I actually Mm. said no after that first viewing, I said, no, it's too big of a commitment. I can't do it by myself. I'm not going to do it. And um, I just left it. After a few months, I was driving past because I drive past every single day when I was coming back from my old workplace and the sign had come off. It didn't say to sell, to, to let or whatever. It had just come off. And I thought, oh, my God, somebody is going to buy that building. They're going to make it into a dental practice and my brain will explode. I will not be able to drive down this road again. I was like, it won't happen. And so I called up um, the guy because I bought it directly from the co-op and I called him up and I said, what's happened? Somebody's bought the building, what's going on? And he said, no, no, the sign just fell off. And I thought, right, (laughs) it's my sign. I said, right, okay, let's start the paperwork. I'm I'm in, I'm done, let's buy it. Have 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 you kept the sign? (laughs) <laughs> no, I haven't. I wish I did. I was like, this is what feel yeah. the deal. <laughs> or a picture. Exactly. It was, it was a metaphorical and a physical sign, wasn't it? Mm. Thank you. It's good enough. Oh, no, it's it's very good. Yeah. So, so setting up a squat, we, we, you know, we all know it's not an easy thing to do. What, what was the impact it had on your life at that time? Were you, did you continue to work as an associate while you were managing setting mm. it up? And what did that look like, that kind of building phase? And how long did it take? 
oh guys you're asking all the tough questions aren't you (laughs) (laughs) get to the meat of it in my case I think I in some cases made things a little bit more difficult for myself and in some cases it just was part of my journey so when I was doing the business um, and building up the squat practice I'm doing it alone so I don't have a business partner I don't have um, like a spouse or anything like that that's helping me with the business it's just me so you know at first I was thinking oh this how it's going to be so difficult it's all encompassing and it was I think for a long time probably up until six months after ownership you know all of that time before it opened it just took over my life I was working Mm -hmm. non-stop all the time because I needed to make the funds in order to create the business I didn't want to take money from anybody so I didn't want to take anything from my parents I already had a mortgage which I had to pay so I knew that I was tight in what else I could like my affordability so I had some savings I tried to do everything myself so I did things like a little bit the hard way so when I look back at at how we built up the squat practice I had external contractors do all the building work so that was like the windows the floor the ceilings the walls everything like that but everything else we did ourselves the flooring we put the cabinetry in ourselves we did the tiling ourselves we did every single other thing ourselves as much as we could so that I could save cost and it was so funny because at that time my dad would be like you're so tight I never knew you were this tight and I said no I'm not tight I'm literally just like this is what I have to do it was quite a difficult journey um Mm. I look back and I think you know if I were to do this again there's so many things I would do differently but hindsight is just such a gift because you don't know what you don't know at the time Mm. yeah I also kind of like am thankful for that journey because I did everything so the wrong way and the hard way it makes me less scared going forward because I think it can't be harder than doing it the mm. way I did it already. Mm. But it but it still but it still worked, didn't it? Yeah. You know, you're still there, you've got a practice, you've yeah. got patience, you've got a team. So all those things came came together. Yeah. What was the what what, what as, you, as you went through this process before you kind of opened your doors and saw your first patient, what what was the what was the highest point and the lowest point? You know, how what were the extremes that you had to cope with? So I think the highest point for me, because, you know, I was supposed to open pre-COVID. So I was supposed to open in March 2020. And in the end, because I couldn't source PPE, my CQC inspections were all delayed. There was just a stop on everything, wasn't there? And then I think Mm. dental practices opened. I still remember, I think it was the 6th or 8th of June around that time. 8th of June. June. Yeah, you could open before the 8th of June. And after that, things started rolling a little bit. So I actually didn't manage to open my practice until the 1st of August 2020. And that for me was a massive high point I thought you know at least I can open the doors Mm. I'm just so happy and Mm. you know it was both a high and a low point because I wanted to do it with a bang I wanted to have a videographer a photographer a massive party have the mayor and do the whole shebang and I wasn't able to do any of that but Mm. looking back I think do you know what that part of the journey also helped me being opened Mm. in COVID because all practices had their doors closed. Everybody had only one person in the waiting room. My practice didn't look any different, even though nobody knew that that was my only patient, the one patient Mm. in the waiting room. So that was actually quite a a high (laughs) and a low point all at the same time for me because it really helped me out. I mean, the government Mm. grants, all of that really helped to tide me over until now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What I love is your outlook is every time you talk about something which is a challenge, 
you take a lesson from it and say, but it was really good. It was really good though, because now I've learned this and it was actually really good because this happened. So in terms of other people, that out- Glass half full. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's what makes you the sort of person that that would have set up a squat and be successful in setting up Mm. a squat because- you don't see things as problems. They're just obstacles. They're just learning opportunities. You just kind of deal with them and move on. You don't kind of, you know, mope about things at all. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I do moan. I do moan as good as the rest of them during the process. But I think when you get a little bit (laughs) of time... You're hiding it well. Yeah, well, I think when you get a little bit of time to... (laughs) It's out the other side now as well. (laughs) (laughs) When you get a little bit of time to reflect, I think that's when you think, actually, do you know that hurdle helped me so much? I mean, even um, with opening the practice, I... I bought the practice in 20, uh, the property in 2016. I didn't open until 2020. So a lot of that time I was paying the mortgage wow. myself. I was like still working that whole time, but I had some personal circumstances where I had to help on my parents' business. So I was taken away from dentistry. I mean, I still worked full time, but I used to go in the evenings to help my parents with their, um, with their business. And their business had 60 staff. It had all of this stuff that I didn't know anything about and I just was thrown into it to help with appraisal, supervisions, um, recruitment and kind of like all of this stuff. I didn't know what I was doing and at the time I was just like, this is too much, this is too Mm. much. But looking back, I think if I can help to manage a business of that size and scale, Mm. then running a practice with five, six, seven, ten people, however many people it is, is not going to be as bad as what I was doing before. It's a great experience, isn't it? Well, I think your banker friend that said, don't bother doing an MBA, you just learn. you've, You've done your own MBA. Yeah, you know, by setting up a squat and learning that, buying a property, helping your your family business, you know, all the things that you need to to thrive in business, you just learn by doing it. Yeah, um, for sure. And it's a bit like I'm, I'm sure when you were back in dental school, what you learned in dental school and what it feels like when you've got a patient in the chair—they're different things. And yeah. the risk is with lots of formal learning, particularly in the business arena, is you never actually get to apply the things you've learned. You understand yeah. the theory, yeah. but you know what if you've got a team member that suddenly bursts into tears? Yeah, you know, where, where does that feature? You know, you you, you need to page seventy-eight, <laughs> subparagraph four. It, 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 how to deal with crying staff exactly. member. So you, so you've work. been through and you've experienced. You know, business is about juggling balls. It's about spinning plates. Yeah, it's, and it's, I think it's, like it's, it's never easy. Who's, uh, thinking about having a business it doesn't have to be like just in the dental sector. Obviously, we're talking about dental practice, but any business you have an opportunity if you just try to look for that opportunity. So even in the old practice where I used to work at, my old boss he used to be in the army and he was away a lot so i just offered it to him i said okay you're away a lot like why don't i just help you it'll be good experience for me for the future and you know what i don't mm. mind i'm not really doing much in the evenings um, i'll help you with your cqc stuff like it'll be good for me to know what compliance is i started doing all of his compliance folders for like literally no extra money i used to be there until 10 o'clock at night just because i thought it's a good way for me to learn so actually that side of things didn't really phase me too much i mean mm. there's so much to compliance and i'm really glad that i can that's really interesting yeah, yeah i'm really glad i can offload that now to somebody else but i think it was so important for me to have an understanding of what it was and uh, what makes that up because i think sometimes you can just give that job to somebody else but you don't know what they're doing or what they're not doing mm. because you don't have an understanding of what that mm. job role is no, so i kind of made a point to kind of learn it before i even thought about having my practice yeah. it's interesting so i was reading an article yesterday about this uh, trend for quiet quitting have you, mm. have you seen know, the quiet quitting bit. with all these people who um would have 
done stuff like that, but um, now aren't doing that stuff like that. And, and it's interesting because that, that there's two sides of everything, isn't there? Mm. One is the fact of, well, I'm not getting paid for it, so I'm not going to do it anymore. But the flip side of that is, well, I'm doing it because I'm going to learn, I'm going to use that and maybe turn it into something else. It's a real it? yeah. interesting, you know, yeah. quiet quitters. Are you, um, are you a control freak? I was a control freak, yeah, but I'm trying to be better at it now. I am delegating so now, out a lot more. Well, I was going to say, so you're like, you've been treating patients for, you've been open for two years, although the project has been much longer for the reasons you explained, but you've been open for two years. So now you've got a team of people. So how's that, how's that delegation going? Do you still kind of sweat the small stuff or are you, are you able to step back and take more of a leadership role? Now it's better. I think, you right. know, having a squat practice in particular, I mean, any ownership is hard. I'm not taking that away from anybody, but having a squat practice and being so invested in it, I mean, monetarily like I was, but like even emotionally, because we built mm. it like literally brick by brick. I it's think your baby. it is, it was, and everything I had, had a hand in doing, like I would come back, my dad hadn't tiled one wall properly. I'd be like, take it off. We're doing this. We're doing this, this, this. It was, it was not like it was just given and I just, thought right I'm going to make it work so I think there was a little bit of that and I had to go through a period and I think I'm not sure if other owners have to do this as well or they've been through something similar where I had a little bit of a almost a burnout phase and I just thought why am I doing this I'm here all the time I'm doing all of the jobs I'm doing everything and I know I want to make my business work but I don't want to make it work at the sacrifice of my life mm. at, like yeah. at the sacrifice of balance so I think after about six months that's when I kind of just thought right nobody is going to come and tell me take a day off because nobody mm. is here who's going to say no no you should mm. obviously the girls that work with you know that you're working extra hard and you're tired and you're here all the time but nobody will force you to do something and that's when I had to really reevaluate and think what do I want and what's my priority yes I want to make my business work but I also want to have a balance in life and I think that's when I tried to start delegating out more recruited a practice manager she's here all the time doing all of the compliance I took myself out of that completely so we have our meetings I know what's happening and where we are with everything but I tried mm. to delegate it out a little bit more the responsibilities because I thought it was just too much and I think you know if you have that kind of personality where you do want to be on top of things a lot only you can say that to yourself it doesn't matter how many times somebody comes to you yeah. and says mm. give the job to someone else you're going to be like yeah. no I need to do this mm. and then but I think great self-awareness on your part to recognise that in yourself because lots of principals don't get there. And they, yeah, lots they of principals just never let go of stuff and they get busier and busier. They'd and be working. more successful if they yeah, were they adopted were, a more hands-off attitude. They're working right? evenings and weekends. And, and in many cases, they're not the best person to do it either no, because your, your, your primary set, training is, is as a technician. You're a dentist. Yeah. And it may be there's somebody who's better in the business at doing bits that, that you aren't. And yeah the business would move forward as a result of it. But unless you capture that, that ability to delegate, it never it never moves forward. Mm. So through you to have caught that so early on yeah. in your ownership journey is brilliant. It really is. But I think if I hadn't caught it, it would be just such a detriment to my life. Like I would have just been here all the time. I was here until so late every day, here every Sunday, always here. Mm. And I just thought, this isn't what I this isn't what I wanted from having my own it's not business. Living either. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. It's not living. Yeah. Yeah, you just get that life work balance. Yeah, definitely. So, going back to you, know, you are incredibly positive, and you start with a happy person. What 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 makes you happy? What what where where do you get your 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 happiness from? 
I don't know if I am like always happy. I mean, I try to always be positive. I think, you know, it's the people around you as well. I've always had all my family, my friends, kind of similar sort of outlook. And I think, you know, definitely my parents, they've always worked hard. We've had shops, we've had, you know, other businesses. They worked really, really hard, set up their families, but I never felt ever that they they were overworked or they couldn't mm. do it or they didn't want to do it. They always just said like, well, that's what it is and we're just going to keep going and whatever we've got to do, we've got to do. And it was always quite positive in our household. And, you know, one thing that my parents always taught me is that don't take your stress from work home. So whenever mm. I used to do that, because I do do that and I still sometimes do yeah. that and I used to come home and be like oh god this has happened and that's happened but I'd be like just leave it at the door now is your time to relax and switch off and just chill mm. and I think you need that little bit of time to recharge and give your mind a bit of clarity as well definitely mm. definitely mm. you need to oh. learn to kick back and just like yeah yeah it actually makes you a it makes you a better person when you're in the zone and focused as well yeah for sure because and you've got you've got some energy to bring yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely I, th I think honestly, I, th I think your story—we've we've kind of whizzed through it at a rate of knots. But I think where you are now, you know, given that you were just about to open your practice in March 2020 and COVID hit, that would have that would have chucked a lot of people. I think the, the fact edge. you bought the three hundred in 2016 with that vision, yeah, you know, uh, that, that you and it obviously just sat there and ruminated, yeah, and, yeah, and then sort I mean, of like. I'm not going to lie, there were times when I thought, and I was approached because the location is good, um, by many people to say, just name your price, sell the building, do this, do that. And I just thought, do you know, sometimes you have that thought in the back of your mind and you just think, should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? But once I've made a commitment to see something through and I just think, no, I said I'm going to do it and mm. I'm going to do it. That's that. <laughs> and, you, and you had that sign. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I but had also, that sign. Never, it, it, but it never goes away. You You still have that option. That yeah. option will always be available to you. If, if one day you wake up and think, oh, actually, I'm, I'm done. I've really enjoyed yeah. it. You've still got your freehold. You've still got your dental practice. Mm. But yeah. for as long as you're enjoying it, you should you should keep doing yeah, it. Yeah. I think it's yeah. a really inspiring story. That's brilliant. A really inspiring story. And I think we, we always... Um, yeah, sorry, sorry go, go, ahead. go on. Go on. No, I was going to say, I think that's like one of the really important things that I'm trying to learn a little bit more. And I think COVID really helped with that is that, you know, before I opened the practice, I always used to think, right, open a practice, you're set. That's your life. You're locked in. You've got the practice until you retire, you sell it. And that's that. That's your business. But now I think, you know, since COVID and there's been so much flux in every industry and you spoke mm. a little bit about quiet quitting and the change and shift in people's mentality. I mean, some for the better, some for the worse. But I think just that little bit of like where you can see that there's a lot of change, it just means it mm -hmm. shows you that there are other possibilities as well. And that's why I try to kind of be really mindful about if I'm burning out, if I'm enjoying it, if I'm not enjoying it, because mm. there's always other options. And I think, you know what? Teeth are teeth. They're not your life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What a great finish. Teeth are teeth. They're not your life. Yeah. We should have that as a logo strap line on some of our courses. Yeah. But no, I, I say genuinely. I, I I think it's a it's a fabulous story. It's a it's, a, it's very a, interesting. a really very good story. I think oh, from your nice. your beginning to your studying, going overseas, coming back, the challenges you had in setting the practice up. I think people will take stacks from it. I love the reverse really bit. Will. Yes, you know, if, uh, other people have been the other way, and yours is like, 
reverse back going to India. That's right, is, I don't yeah. think we've had a guest who's done that. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'll be, it might be a while before we get one. So. A unique story, <laughs> yeah. a unique story. We always wrap up asking our guests the same two questions, just for a bit of sort of consistency to get into their minds. Uh-huh. We like to ask the question, which is, if you could be the fly on the wall with somebody, um, when when would that be? Where would you be? Who would you be with? Okay, so I'm, I've been thinking about this, and I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, so I would say... Oh, here we go. Go on, go on, go on. Go on, go on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So. I was in real London. I just want to know what actually happened. <laughs> was it real? Was, dun, it, real? Dun, dun, was dun. it really real? <laughs> so you probably have seen that film, what was it, Capricorn 1 with yeah. the Gould, <laughs> yeah. where they set up in an aircraft hangar, don't they? Yeah. And they they yeah. pretend that they, they landed on the moon. Um, now that'd be, that, that would be interesting. That would be interesting. And so if you could meet somebody, is there a connection? Uh, back to that, if you if you could sit down and, and meet somebody Neil Armstrong, who, who, did he really <laughs> land alone, or just walk off something, <laughs> some big ladder it. somewhere? <laughs> I have actually thought about this a little bit, and I have a, a few answers actually. So um, I would love to meet like a spiritual leader. I think that would be amazing. I mean, I'm quite a spiritual person myself. I have faith, and I just think. Um, being in the presence of people like that is just sometimes so eye-opening. We get so much mm. in our own heads about so much stuff. And I think having that kind of like big picture thinking is sometimes just such a wake-up call. So I would love to do that, like Dalai Lama or okay. somebody. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, or um, if it was somebody who's not living, would be my dad's grandmother because she ruled the roost in his house like with like – with love and she was like such a strong strong woman back in her day and everybody speaks of her so favorably and i would just love to like just i'd met her briefly when i was her, kid. Yeah. i don't remember i just wouldn't like to know what kind of person right. she is and if it's Lovely. like um, somebody living dolly parton i love her what a woman oh. what a woman dolly parton yeah I, I got to see her in concert no. my, my wife got some well my wife got some tickets it was the year she came over to do glastonbury what yeah. was that 1718 yeah she was going to go she was going to go with her friend and her friend ended up being in america for a family wedding so i went with her i was blown away oh by her God. she is awesome I she's a show her. woman isn't she she yeah. is she's got so much energy the her. stories i mean just she, she spoke for a few minutes about her charitable work where yeah. she's putting books into schools in america the woman is incredible she is such a powerhouse her story? her story is so inspiring she came from like literal poverty like literal poverty mm-hmm. she came from. Right. And honestly, yeah. like, I'm just like so in awe of that woman. And I think, you know, for her to be the woman she is, be proud of the woman she is, even though she got the kind of like name of being a bimbo for such a long time, she mm. didn't let it phase her. She was like, I am what I am. I like what I am. You mm. either like it or you don't like it. And that's yeah. up to you. And you know what? I think just amazing. I love her. Yeah. Yeah, no, she she's great. She's great. Thank you, Indy. That was absolutely I was fabulous. Trying to think Thank of a Dolly Parton pun me. then, but sort of failed. Only you know, a couple of songs. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, well, we could shout is... Joe How, Joe How, and uh, Joe How, Joe How, Joe How, Joe How. See, sort of works. Oh well, we might edit that piece out. We'll see. Okay, how we go. I thought it was quite good. <laughs> No, cheers, indeed. It's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. been brilliant talking uh, to you. Thank it's, you. Uh, it's a lovely story. I think people are going to take a, a huge amount from that. So, yeah, we, uh, we really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Excellent. Look after yourself. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram. 